This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Amongst the precious stones of earth, rubies, emeralds, sapphires, the diamond holds a special place as an item of immense power, metaphorical or otherwise. The ancient Greeks believed them to be the hardened tears of weeping gods, while other ancients saw them as pieces of the stars themselves, left buried in the earth from a past since forgotten. Although the majority of these precious stones are seen as a marker of good fortune, there are some diamonds that carry with them an essence of something not of this earth. Objects which, through one way or another, acquire a certain ominous presence. One might even call it a curse. Tonight, we investigate one such stone, an object acquired through mysterious means and with a past soaked in blood and misery of those who have at one time owned the diamond. A series of coincidences, an ancient curse, or something else. Join us on Into the Portal as we discuss an object that can only be described as the Diamond of Death. to the portal i'm amber ray and i'm andrew mckay and we are back with yeah. a really fun topic today hey? kind of different something different i'm looking forward to this one definitely yeah uh before we get into it though let's do a little bit of housekeeping first tiny bit of housekeeping and it's super fun housekeeping for you guys because we have a contest to announce really really excited about this it's kind of been a long time in the making to be totally honest like three months in the making Mm -hmm. but our lives are totally insane but as you guys know we've launched a podcast network called straight up strange productions we have a bunch of awesome shows in there and it's just this growing family so you guys got to check it out if you haven't had a chance yet but you have a reason to now if you haven't already uh to hop over to straightupstrange.com so basically we have this is the don't stop believe in contest we have a Don't Stop Believe in Sasquatch and Loch Ness Monster t-shirt. It's even got a Holy Grail hidden in there somewhere, but it's not too busy. It's a really sweet shirt. Mm-hmm. And then to go with it, we have a classic UFO icon dad cap, just a classic baseball cap with a rainbow tractor beam. It's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, really I, I said it. I said it. It's really, <laughs> really cool and super easy to win. So all you guys have to do is head over to straightupstrange.com and sign up for our newsletter, our strange newsletter. And trust me, we're not going to spam you. This is just a monthly newsletter with fun updates on network shows. There's going to be exclusive contest offers, very much like the Don't Stop Believe in contest here, where you can win cool paranormal things, strange artifacts from from the strange shop that we'll be launching pretty soon too. And then, yeah, we'll have some cryptozoological UFO just paranormal news in there too, just kind of like a monthly newsletter. So that's it. Uh, sign up, sign your soul away, and uh, yep. you'll have a chance to win. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, um, straightupstrange.com. And 
it'll be, I believe I kind of you scroll down to the bottom and it'll pop up. Yep. It's yeah. right at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Can't miss it. Cool. And uh, yeah, you guys can check out like what that shirt and hat look like on our socials. We'll, uh, we'll be posting that up so you guys can take a look. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what are we talking about tonight, Amber? Tonight we are talking about the diamond of all right. Yeah, this was a intriguing case. It's one of the first, well, we've done one other cursed object. We did the Hexam heads a while mm-hmm. back. That was quite unique. This one is a little bit of a different scenario here. Definitely. We're talking about in particular a cursed 115 carat blue diamond that was allegedly, by some accounts, stolen from India. And carried back to France only to befell its owners throughout four centuries with countless tragedies and impossible bad luck, including amputation, starvation, suicide, and so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty dark. Dark but stuff. Pretty cool at the same time. Yeah. I, I love this idea of like a, a cursed object. It reminds me of like Indiana Jones or something. Oh, eh? absolutely. <clears throat> 100%. This is Indiana Jones territory for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so this diamond in particular goes by several names and nicknames. Chief among these would be Le Bijou de Rho, which is the king's jewel. Mm, okay. Le Bleu de France, the blue of France. Um, the Tavernier Bleu. We've also got the Hope Diamond, which is currently known as, as well as just the Cursed Diamond. Wow, hey, <laughs> it's that just, famous. <laughs> you know what? Just straight up Cursed Diamond, call it like it is, right? Exactly, yeah. Call a spade a spade, right? So this um, particular gem was sourced from India, and it displays this beautiful, deep, grayish-blue crystal with an extremely rare red glimmer. Um, It kind of appears as a glow or a sheen in the dark, and it has this really unique phosphorescence property. Mm -hmm. It's unlike any other stone in the way that it glows this beautiful red orange for up to one full minute after the lights go out. Mm-hmm. Pretty Isn't cool. that crazy? So it's literally just the um, the prisms of light dancing around in the gem itself right. that illuminates it. Yeah, that's right. It's, that's really cool. And it's basically caused by, yeah, like an interaction between ultraviolet light and boron that is found in blue diamonds, as well as nitrogen that's found in the stones as well. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very, very cool. Because like, you know, you know, stones do phosphoresce, um, mm-hmm. diamonds and other precious gems, but usually it's um, blues, greens, other types of colors. And obviously with a blue stone, you would expect it to glow a blue-ish color, right? Perhaps. Or something like uh, like a, a brilliant white or something. Something like that. This is neat, though. I love it. It's like the contrast of fire and ice. Very much so. Mm-hmm. There's... To some, maybe something a little ominous about that, possibly. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? What's that? (gasps) Game of Thrones. (laughs) Oh, does it? Even yeah, because you you know you get like the White Walkers that are like ice, and then you get the dragon, uh, what queen? Very true. Fire. There you go. Mm -hmm. You you even made that comment the other day. You were like, "Oh, I think this is going to be fire and the ice in the end." I honestly think it is. (laughs) I think that's what they're culminating up to. But we're only in season four. Yeah, we're uh, no spoilers, guys. We're we're catching up. We're catching up. So as we're kind of alluding to here, you know, its origins are a little murky, um, a little bit vague. Was it purchased? Was it stolen? Where where was it exactly sourced from in India? And its turbulent history really begins in most likely the Kolur mine, which is just this massive, massive mine in Golconda, India. I don't actually know exactly where that is. I had Mm. it pulled up and I 
lost it here somewhere. I believe it's in the south of the country, but I'll have to double check on that. But this operated between the 16th and 19th centuries and was, like I said, one of the largest diamond production mines in the entire Indian subcontinent. And at the height of its production, there was between 30 and 60,000 people working beneath the ground. So Mm -hmm. picture that for a second, 60,000 people, no safety protocol, just kind of, you know, sandals and no shirt and a pick and you're going down into the depths of the mine and you got the canary down there to make sure there's no noxious gases. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty freaky. It's like the original blood diamond scenario. A hundred percent. And um, obviously many, many people died there. They met their Mm -hmm. final demise in this mine. And for that reason alone, even the stones that were coming out of there, you know, were, were crossing a path that was marred in death more or less, mm. right? Death and despair and, and just countless uh, suffering, I would imagine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The diamond would be processed, though, and made its way into the hands of whoever was in charge of the mine um, first, and then, of course, the mine's owners, and then so on and so on, presumably, right? And then until it gets into the hands of a merchant who's purchased it, presumably. But <laughs> there's different um, stories that go along with this as well. So one of the legends is that the diamond actually came you know, came out of the mine, managed to make its way into the construction of an idol, essentially, right? So it was the eye of an idol somewhere in a temple along the Kalarun River in India, which is actually pretty likely because we looked into this and there's many, many temples along this river, at least in the sense that, you know, there would be similar statues as the one being described in these temples. And you made a good point, Amber, because I was like, oh, it's an eye and a statue. Like, maybe that means there's a second one that's the same. But you're like, no, it's like the third eye, yeah. most likely, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we don't actually know, but 99.9%. Well, I've seen images of similar types of idols and like um, different gods, right? Different Hindu and um, mm-hmm. Indian gods and whatever else. And it's always in the headband. So right. it's like their third eye that rests in the forehead. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So... If that were true, um, then the story goes that essentially the eye was stolen. So this this jewel was just pried right out of the idol. And we would have to assume that uh, obviously this is going to lend to some sort of bad luck, at least, if not an outright curse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, is the, this is the precursor for the, of course, the diamond that we've mentioned that ends up being a part of the French crown, the ju- French crown jewels, essentially, right? But mm-hmm. before this, it's just, it's this massive uncut stone. Others say, though, that the headband of the goddess was... So it was either stolen by the Frenchman Tavernier, who we haven't actually introduced yet, but he's the first person who comes into contact with the stone from the Western world, right? It's either stolen by him, or another version is that it was stolen by a common thief who was torn apart the very next day by wild dogs. (laughs) Then the stone was found and subsequently sold to Tavernier. That's interesting. I actually... That's a weird sort of amalgamation of a different version that I saw where it was Tavernier again who stole it. And then years later, he was ripped apart by dogs and that was part of the curse. That was like his final demise was <laughs> exactly. that. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. The wild dogs, they'll get you. Lots of different stories. But in most cases, and I believe this is historically documented, Tavernier died an old man, a uh, ripe old age of like 85, I think. And it was of natural causes. <laughs> not very... Not very painful, not very, um, 
you know, exciting. That's I, one I version. Prefer, I, I prefer mean, the wild dogs. <laughs> I prefer the wild dogs as well. I mean, we don't know this guy personally, but exactly. he may have had it coming. Who knows? And you know, it's funner to think about it that way. I, I feel like both me and you are going into this episode with just a slight amount of whimsy and the ability to sort of suspend our disbelief for a minute. I'm and definitely just, suspending some disbelief, but on the mm-hmm. other hand too, like as we go through this here, there's a lot of coincidence that's like hard to ignore you know what i mean like it's like it's it's very serendipitous on the side of darkness you know i feel like though i can make a counter argument to that and say it does seem that way to us here living in the times that we do because we don't experience a lot of this kind of thing but back in the day especially because like this is like 16th century moving people on die forward, people die people die and it's, it's dirty times there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of violence a lot of disease a lot of things that we don't really have full understanding of so perhaps that could play a part but you're right the circumstances of all of these are just very intriguing definitely <clears throat> so i just want to make that point quick <laughs> no for sure i mean it falls in line with like uh you know the curses coming out of egypt around the same not the exact same time but like later on into right. the royal geographic society Ooh. era and things like that where the it's pharaoh's like, curse yeah. yeah it's like you know people are dying from all kinds of different stuff in these mm-hmm. eras but very very serendipitous it's happening to the people that were in the exactly tombs. and you can also make the argument that just the sheer fact that this thing is a massive diamond that's worth a lot of money would inspire a lot of unscrupulous activity exactly mm-hmm. possibly even in its acquisition in the first place right exactly. which is this whole idea here mm-hmm. to get back to the idea of it coming from the eye of an idol <clears throat> and that being the source of a potential curse because without a doubt if you if it really was i mean you're stealing something from a sacred object like what what more what better way to curse yourself other than like desecrating a grave is there really than that in my opinion right, right. but there's a problem with this um and it's the idea of a blue stone being used in an idol <clears throat> excuse me and we watched it a few different documentaries read a few different things and apparently in india and a few other different um cultures in like that area of mm-hmm. the east blue blue diamonds specifically sapphires and other precious gems are seen differently but blue diamonds were seen as bad luck oh. um omens of different things hmm. whereas the color red not necessarily in diamonds but obviously in the hindu faith which is the, the dominant um like religion in india yeah is a really positive color you know it's 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 related to fertility and marriage and birth and and happy Mm. festivals and things like that so if this is a stone that phosphoresced red a bright bright red which would have been unbelievably rare if not outright never seen before in a diamond Mm -hmm. that would make sense it might be used in an idol it would almost it would almost show that it's like alive right the idol like the, the the idol would almost come alive when the color changes you know what i mean oh that makes sense yeah that's actually really interesting it's almost like a good omen out of a bad? Potentially. Like a, kind of like a reverse. It's almost like the yin and yang It or just depends on. on who you're asking, right? And who, yeah. But I mean, of course, the other flip side of that is that red is often seen as a bad omen. Mm-hmm. When I think about red, obviously, I feel like in the West, we have a lot of more negative associations. We, It's almost like the, the red-white sort of contrast where white is associated with purity, with goodness, with all these things. And then the red is obviously associated with uh, the devil, <laughs> like, you know, like blood. sin and, and blood like... and, and closer to animality than purity. You know what I mean? And yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, th- that is a really interesting concept. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm definitely no expert in uh, Hinduism or anything like that, but if a stone was blue, but glowing red, 
what would you imagine? I would imagine it to have some sort of, I'm thinking it honestly kind of reminds me of the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Where totally. like the elixir of life could be hidden in that thing. Who knows? Well, know. oh, man, <clears throat> yeah, we're getting into all kinds. Of, we could go down a million rabbit holes with this, especially mm-hmm. back in like the, the tur- like, you know, the 16th, or like the 1600s, 1700s, the things people believed with things yeah. like this. Mm-hmm. So where's the diamond now then? Well, we um, kind of a little section. Should we jump into that or should we save it for the very end? Well, I mean, we, I mean, we can just mention it, I suppose, and then get into the timeline because where it stands now is essentially it's sitting in the Smithsonian, Washington, D.C. They actually took something in the Smithsonian. Hey, good for you guys. Um, way to do your job. <laughs> they didn't lose it. They didn't lo- well, yeah, we'd have to go double check probably. <laughs> oh, we, lo- we put it in a shoebox and it just disappeared. Oh, the diamond said to be worth well over $250 million U.S. dollars, or at least that's what it was last insured for. Um, that figure is probably a little outdated, though. This, mm, the, the stone's the stone's probably worth well over that now, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy to think because it's obviously way smaller than it once was. Like it has been cut down many it many has. times. It's like uh, it's like a half of what it was originally. Right. It was 115 carats, and now it's about what like 49 or something like that. Well, yeah. I think we we get to that number that, in a sec. Yeah. So let's get into the movements here because we we I want to follow this path of destruction that this diamond takes from let's India. Do it. So. The timeline, like we said before, it begins um, as the French blue. So 1642, did not mean to rhyme there. Um, <laughs> Jean Tavernier, is that how you pronounce that? Tavernier? I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think so. Acquires this diamond in India, whether he's, however he acquires it, right? He holds the stone for a while until he ends up selling it to King to King Louis, which number is this? The 14th. <laughs> is that where that is? That's All 14th. Right. The king Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, of course, right. Mm-hmm. So this is pre-Revolution France, the third, uh, third last king before he the He was honestly, and I'll just throw this in here for everyone who forgot about Grade Ten Socials. He was that guy that you saw that had just like, he was like the epitome of um, decadence. Uh, he basically dressed himself in any any sort of form of wealth he could possibly imagine. He was probably the last loved king of France, and then from there just went downhill downhill big <laughs> yeah. time downhill he was the one that was able to last fully enjoy the fruits of the crown and then they started to overexpend themselves and all that kind of thing yeah and all at the peasant's expense which was really unfortunate and then you get a revolution hmm, hmm. hmm. pretty short-sighted yeah yeah anyway so yeah the sun king and tavernier is the guy who ended up giving it to him or selling it to him, right? He was born in 1605, lived to 1689. Like we mentioned, French diamond merchant. This guy was prolific. So he traveled how many times? It was like eight times to and from the Indian subcontinent. He had six voyages actually over the course of 40 years. Six official voyages. He covered more than uh, 180,000 miles, 290,000 kilometers over the course of his 40 years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, considered essentially to be a cultural anthropologist of the time of sorts because of how extensive his travels were, and uh, wrote an account of his travels called The Six Voyages of uh, Jean-Baptiste Tavernier. So definitely well-known and I guess well-respected. He kind of reminds me of like an East India trading company character, because if you have that many successful voyages, you have to be doing something right. And you have to be a little bit of a cutthroat to actually yes. get what you want, in, especially in those times, right? And I, I, I like what you phrased, like we were talking about this yesterday, and you said, 
you know, it's just um, you can play that into the idea of like European exceptionalism. And when we got into the whole idea, like, did he steal it? Did he buy it? Who knows? It could have played into that whole idea of exceptionalism and they take what they want because they can take it. Yeah, exactly. So you never know what really went down there. Totally. And, and even though, like we said, too, like, you know, India was was British controlled, but even just because he was French doesn't mean he had the right connections. And like, yeah, like we said, East India Trading Company, like you're going to step on throats to be mm-hmm. a success, successful merchant. Exactly. Um, anybody seen Taboo, one of our favorite yeah, shows. Oh, it always reminds me of that when we're thinking about this thing. It's such a good show. Definitely. I love it. So even in the beginning, before the diamond was associated with an outright curse, like the exact origins of the stone and its legend was extremely vague, obviously, right? So, you know, coming mm-hmm. from Tavernier, and yeah, 1600s, Europe, dark, dark, dark times for non-European uh, subjects under the domain of European like countries, right? Whether it's France or the British or whoever, mm-hmm. you, you, you kind of, yeah, um, people did what they want. So even before the death toll began to pile up with this diamond, some people believe that it was acquired through, you know, trickery and murderous means. And mm-hmm. this is the source of its uh, Makes sense. destruction, right? Yeah, exactly. So where did the stone go after uh, Tavernier acquired it then? Hmm. Um, like, like we said, it did go to the French crown. So when he, he it's kind of weird though, because he actually acquired the stone over a decade before he actually gave it to the I French know, crown, right? which makes me feel that he was hanging on to it because it was a prize, right? It was a, a precious thing that he owned. And I would imagine maybe he sold it in the end to fuel more expeditions perhaps Hmm. either that or there was such a long delay between the time he acquired it and the time he actually made it back to france that he actually you know it was a pretty fluid transaction i don't know could have happened either way but when the frenchman found it he described it as a beautiful violet gemstone Hmm. i love that the idea yeah the mixture of the red and the blue together would create a violet impression right Mm -hmm. And it was very crudely cut. It was somewhat triangular. It doesn't look anything like how it looks today. No. But again, right, it was this massive rock that was just so beautiful. So essentially, he actually, yeah, so Tavernier, he gained a lot from selling this thing. He, he gained um, three million pounds. He had lands and titles given to him in exchange. And then he actually ended up selling 14 other large diamonds along with this gemstone. Just regular diamonds. Just regular diamonds, mm-hmm. yes. Nothing nothing special, yeah. you know. But it was just like, I, I feel like we had to include that just to allude to the opulence of the French crown, right? And yes. how they were just so extravagant and just accumulating these ridiculous amounts of wealth. Yeah. At the expense of their own citizens, which was really crappy. But anyways. They get what's coming to them. Mm -hmm. Well, their relatives do anyway. (laughs) So what happened next to the gemstone? It actually got recut. So Louis XIV ordered it to be cut into a 69 carat round heart shaped gem. And then he added it to the royal collection. It took on the name the French blue at this time. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, I believe the setting, it had like a bunch of little diamonds around it and it looked like a big heart. And it reminds me of, you know, in Titanic, the heart of the ocean. Yeah. 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 I feel like that gemstone in that movie was inspired by this one. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I would imagine so. So like we said before, a tavernier reportedly died of natural causes at the ripe old age of, I think it was 85. But like we said, other legends go that this 
unscrupulous businessman, huge air quotes there, would actually end up in financial ruin back in India, where, like, like we said, he suffered an atrocious death and was eaten by dogs and tigers. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. a tiger. And a tiger. Whatever. Multiple tigers, fine. No, no, whatever. Dogs and a tiger, they're working together. Like, man, that's a... <laughs> He's just throwing the pit. What a demise, yeah. <laughs> so is this a connection to the curse or just a lovely, fantastical ending to Tavernier? <laughs> Throw him in the pit. That just reminds me of Cordell. It does. Throw him into the pit, Cordell. <laughs> you can always say it was me. <laughs> oh, I love Anthony oh, Hopkins. Oh, man. Such a good, such a good one. Yeah. Anyways, so after, after that, it was in the hands of the Louis. So these guys, there was about three of them before the revolution occurred. Mm -hmm. Louis the Fourteenth, he died in fifteen. Sorry, seventeen fifteen. Mm -hmm. He only wore the gem once in his life, though. However, there was another person in his court, one of his courtiers and associates, um, a Nicholas Fouquet. 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 And he wore the gem on numerous festivities and special occasions, only to end up getting out of favor with Louis. I don't know how this happened, but he ended up spending 15 years in a prison at the fortress of Pignol, which I, I saw I just mispronounced that. Sorry. And presumably he died there. <laughs> and he did. Yeah. It mm-hmm. wasn't a good ending for him. No. So again, we get another reference to someone wearing the stone and undercoming some very unfortunate circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we get the next King of France, Louis the 15th who actually refused to wear the stone himself. But he actually lent it to one of his mistresses, the Countess du Berry, who was actually later hanged by Louis, I believe. He, she fell out of favor, too. Mm. But I feel like a lot of people lose their heads at the same time. But whatever. It could be attributed to the curse. It could not. Well, I mean, obviously, with with this Louis, the curse is starting to take hold a little bit. He's little like, bad. I don't want to wear this. Exactly. So he, whether or not he was actually superstitious about the curse or if he just didn't like wearing the thing, because apparently it was really, really heavy. Well, <laughs> it was too heavy to wear. <laughs> okay. Like, comfortably. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. So that was kind of another obstacle. But Fair enough. he's a dude. Man, come on, you got a strong neck, hopefully. Well, Maybe not. I don't know. I know you're looking at some of those old portraits, and I'm thinking, <laughs> he's kind of a bit of a... Yeah. A little bit of a poof? Yeah. A little yeah. Of a pansy poof. A little bit. Yeah. But he actually ended up not escaping the curse, and is said to have contracted a virulent form of smallpox. And it basically turned every inch of his body into a blackened scab of blood. Ooh. Painful. Very painful. Um, yeah, not the way you want to go. Maybe he should have worn the diamond. Maybe. Maybe it would have been a little faster. Mm. I don't know. But that's pretty unfortunate, eh? Yeah, that's a... That... For a king? Like, I don't know. I guess even if you're a king, kings are men. Kings die all the time. They do indeed. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That just... Oh, I, I just can't stop thinking about Game of Thrones now that you mentioned it. we got to watch another episode tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after the game. After the game. Go raps. That's right. Anyways. Okay. okay. Um, after that, we get one more Louis, right? So this is the guy that basically was the last king of pre-revolution France. He actually dared to wear the cursed stone as well as the infamous Marie Antoinette. So many believe that this sealed their fate when the revolution occurred. And then I put it in brackets here, or really... Was it the continuous disregard for poverty of the people and endless displays of extravagance, the diamond being the epitome of such that actually sealed their fates in the end, you know? But yeah. the diamond is a symbol, right, of that opulence, of that extravagance, of that corruption of the crown. So in my mind, 
that is a huge part of why the French Revolution occurred. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in and of itself, yeah, like as a symbolic thing, for yes. sure. Yes. Um, Just one more, um, you know, like one more, what am I trying to say? Um, cherry on the top kind yeah. of thing. You, know? you could also maybe make the argument that if there is some sort of an energy, some sort of a, a curse, if you will, attached to this stone, that it's maybe not like leading directly to death. Like you're holding the stone, you're wearing the stone, you die of smallpox or you mm-hmm. get shot with an arrow or whatever. But it's like it makes you make bad decisions. You know what I mean? Like it just it it just it it affects the people it's with. It's like the hexam heads. Exactly. You can't can, think clearly. You make mm. poor decisions. You you make the wrong decisions that mm. lead to your eventual demise. Yeah, perhaps. It corrupts your mind. It definitely corrupted um, possibly the mind. I mean, of these three Louis and the final one, I mean, Marie Antoinette, she didn't, her demise was a little unfortunate, right? Like compared to her husband, because he's the one who was a little bit of a coward. Mm-hmm. She was the one making a lot of decisions in the end. Um he was just chilling. He was afraid of yeah, the revolution. There's in hiding. Basically, the royals' attempt to flee became known as the flight to uh, Varennes. Is that pronounced correctly? Varennes. I hope so. Varennes. Massive, massive event in human history, right? <laughs> Where literally the dumbest, the dumbest idea, though. So it's like, I think the diamond was clouding their judgment, if, if you believe it to be cursed. Because literally, they disguised themselves up as Russian baronesses and, you know, family members of, you know, lesser, lesser royals, essentially, or like hmm. from out of the country, and tried to sneak the entire family together in one caravan out of Paris. And, of course, they have the diamond with them. They have other precious gems and things with them. Some of it was sent ahead. But as they're traveling along the road, Marie Antoinette's handing out silver plates and cups to peasants that are talking to them on the roadside as they're getting their carriage across rough terrain. Hmm. I heard another story where they were actually, they had stopped um, at a roadside tavern and they were disguised. They were like cloaked and everything. Mm -hmm. But Marie, she was recognized because I think she said something and they recognized her like, um, highborn her like voice like mm-hmm. you know and her accent and everything and mm-hmm. but that's another just little anecdote yeah it could be any of these things i mean they're traveling a lot they, they made it a decent distance but of course in the end they were discovered they were dragged into the town of Varennes, and they mm-hmm. were executed at yep. the guillotine i th- i heard another story that this is totally untrue but i believe it was it went along the lines i think it was marie antoinette or louis himself was wearing the stone at the time and then as they were beheaded, the stone was actually broken into a smaller chunk, which is why, because it actually gets smaller and smaller Ooh, as the years go on. That's a fun, that's I know. a fun legend. I honestly can't even remember where I heard that, though. Yeah. That was I'm like pre- forever ago, like years and years ago I heard that. And there's a lot of versions like that that go along with the stone because this yeah. is, this is, um, for, for its, uh, for, for this, for the 1700s, for sure, this is the peak of its like destruction, the stone. Mm-hmm. Per- if you believe it to be true. It's a very turbulent time. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. So, of course, yes, this is a time of just chaos. And after the crown was executed and Louis and Marie were both dead, of course, the treasury was looted. Everything was looted. The palaces were ransacked. Yeah. Everyone went crazy. The French mob was just rioting and everything was lost. The stone was stolen. Yep. It was it was basically lost for a number of decades. Yeah. And no one really knew where it was until it reappeared decades and decades later. 
Um, before we get into that, though, we'll talk about a, some lesser known victims of the cursed diamond during this time of the French Revolution mm-hmm. and, and shortly after. But first, let's get into a word from Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, one yeah. of our favorite little shows, Canadian shows, uh, part of our Straight Up Strange Network. She is such an awesome, awesome woman and just host and so much fun. And she is actually doing this really cool thing. She's on a treasure hunt. Yes, mm-hmm. treasure hunt. Um, so, oh man, I'm, the, the the exact location or city or whatever is escaping me. But um, yeah, she is searching for buried treasure right now in this really cool mm-hmm. contest. And it's all over her socials and it's on our socials too. Um, so yeah, make sure you guys go check out Nothing Ever Happens in Canada because uh, just so much cool stuff going on there. Totally. Welcome to Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, and I'm Canadian Girl. Do you like adventures, myths, legends, and learning about some of Canada's greatest moments in history? Well then this is the podcast for you. Join me every two weeks as we travel around Canada, exploring things like mermaids, giants, lost gold mines, and we even stop once in a while to observe historical events and people. Come on over to the channel and join the crew by hitting that subscribe button today. You don't want to miss out on our next adventure. All right, so we're back. Um, so yeah, lesser known victims of the diamond around the time of the revolution. One of particular note was the Princess de Lamballe. And she is a lesser known character, but was said to have worn the diamond and was torn to pieces by a mob during the revolution. Damn. I know. So I don't know. Exactly. She kind of did. And really unfortunate. Who knows if it was, she just had a poopy personality and people didn't like her and they're just like, whatever, ripping you apart because we're ripping everyone apart. Or if it was really because she was had worn the diamond and she was cursed. I don't know. Well, I mean. Again, though, this, the chain of destruction just keeps following this thing. Another early victim was the Dutch jeweler, William Falls. So Falls is the man responsible for cutting the diamond. It's kind of a a murky story, but essentially he had the gem in his possession. He was given the task of recutting this diamond. However, it is said that he was actually killed by his son, Willem, and, uh, or sorry, Henrik, sorry. Willem was the father's name. Henrik is the son's name. And Henrik murders his father, steals the gem, and essentially sells it to this French merchant named Francis Belier. All right, <laughs> all right. I, I feel like I sound like, um, <laughs> what's his name? <laughs> Big Panther. <laughs> like uh, Glizel. Glizel. Spectre Glizel the Sapper. <laughs> Belier. <laughs> and you're French, too. I'm not French. Why I just have got... a French last name. No, anyway, so this is kind of an, a murky story here, but essentially this Belier gets his hands on a stone, but he, he, he got it for a fraction of his value. So again, right, mm-hmm. this is unscrupulous. Um, Hendrik, the man who murdered his father to sell the stone, actually ended up 
dying of, um, well, <laughs> this is hilarious. This is a quote here. It says, he was eventually driven mad by his own alcoholism, STDs, and guilt. <laughs> and he killed himself in 1830. So, so suicide. Suicide. Not a good life. You would think you'd be living it up after you sell a gem like that. Uh, that That's usually the entire point of stealing a gem. Right? It's like, um, it's like a plot of Ocean's Eleven. Come on. Yeah. But essentially, it continues because... The curse of Belair was the fact that this was a very well-known diamond at this point. Yeah. And he was in France. He couldn't sell this thing. It had a very murky reputation, to say the least. Right. And so he ended up going to London. And to sort of finance his trip, he cut the stone again. So now it's cut down to what we see today as the... Um, I think it's a 45 carat or 49 carat. 45, I think. 45, 45. Thank you. So, okay. Belil cuts the diamond again, brings it to London. Then this guy by the name of Daniel Eliason receives a message telling him to go. This is another cryptic story. And he essentially receives this message telling him to go to an impoverished section of Soho where he finds, this is a quote, a destitute and dying Francis Belil with a large blue diamond in his hand. Eliason offers far less than the stone is worth. And below, but Belair, <laughs> sorry, he died before the payment was made. So this is, again, he was essentially found by Eliason in his bed, on his back, with the stone clutched in his hands. Couldn't let go of it. Yeah, he couldn't let go of it. Yet you're just, you're slowly dying. Yeah. I don't know what he was dying of, though. He was he was diseased by something. I mean, yeah, it says, like, I don't know, it said STDs, most likely, I don't know, syphilis. Maybe he had the, probably. Like the, old, the old Benny Frank. Yeah, probably. He was a young man, though, so it wasn't like he was old. Right. And he he showed it to Eliason while he was still alive and dying. And um, Eliason offered him 5,000 pounds, which is the equivalent of about 20, or sorry, 200,000 pounds today. So when Eliason went home, he told basically um, Belial that he was going to return the next day, mm-hmm. only to find him dead. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm. oh, it says here the young man. This isn't this isn't a uh, peer reviewed source or anything, but he said he was de- dead of starvation. So dead of starvation. I don't understand how you'd be dead of starvation if you have a gem like that in your possession. That's because the curse, though. It's messing though. with your mind. It's messing with your mind, but it's also cursed because you can't you can't sell it piecemeal. It's like the hash driveway in Trailer Park Boys, right? You got to sell it all in one <laughs> you go. Sell it all. The <laughs> like, big dirty, the big dirty. The big dirty. Yeah, you um, got to get it. But, but, but you're also living in poverty at the same time, and you're holding this um, stone of enormous wealth. You know what that reminded worth. me of, which is so bizarre? This is kind of random, but when you were just describing that, it reminded me of um, the Beatle. Oh. Like the character, like laying in his yeah. decrepit like, room or whatever. Oh my gosh. and like. Totally. And when he like rolls over and he can't roll back onto mm-hmm. his feet and it's like this really sad thing where he's just like dying and he's all gross and people have stepped on him and he's like got stuff oozing out of his back. <laughs> just to be clear, this is, um, who, sorry, oh, the author's escaping me. Uh, Franz uh, Kafka. Uh, Kafka, right. Kafka. Your favorite. Kafka, my favorite. <laughs> and also Kafka. the Beatle, um, the, the novel, The Beatle. Um, like in London, right? Like well, the dark, Metamorphosis. The dark, oh, Metamorphosis, oh, the and then the yeah. novel, The Beetle, mm-hmm. which is a uh, Wells. No, Henry James. I thought. Mm. Maybe not though. Actually, mm. no. Maybe it was Wells. Anyway. H.G. Wells. I can't remember now. Mm. So this 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 darkness is just reminding me of those types of stories, right? With totally. these cursed objects and just dark rooms that are <sighs> dripping with just like 
decrepit, you know, like, I don't even know. There's, there's so much inspiration here for just a dark story. I'm picturing, like, Sin City style, like, just darkness everywhere. Sin City mixed with a little bit of, like, Ocean's Eleven or something. Or like... <laughs> the whimsicalness of Ocean's Eleven with the darkness of Sin City. And Taboo. And Taboo. All mixed together. <laughs> All right, we'll get working on that screenplay for you guys, ASAP. Um <laughs> So we're basically coming up into more or less the mid-1800s here. Mm-hmm. And this is when the, the stone takes on the name that it has right now, um, the Hope Diamond, because it comes into the hands of Henry Philip Hope, who was born June 8th, 1774 in Amsterdam. So he's, uh, you know, Western European descent. And he dies December 5th in 1839 in Kent, UK, in the United Kingdom. But he's a, he's a collector of, um, what, what does this say? He was like, he was an art collector, wasn't he? Yeah, a collector of fine artifacts, gems, all sorts of things. Right, and he was, mm-hmm. like, pretty wealthy, right? He was, he was one a banker. Of, yeah, one of the mm-hmm. heirs of the Hope & Co. Mm-hmm. investment firm and yeah. bank, um, without actually having been a banker himself, but rather, like, you know, he was kind of trust fund kid, more or less. Right, right? yeah. And uh, he did not fear the curse, but he was well aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, knew the stories, knew, knew of the track record and this list of death. But... He dies in the same year he acquires the diamond for his catalog. Spooky. So that's a little bit coincidental, right? Mm -hmm. His family would um, then go on to suffer even more bad luck um, because of the gemstone. We don't know. Up until it was sold. And when it was sold in 1901 by Francis Hope, who who had suffered a large degree on, you know, is this... It's a him, right? Francis. Yes. I believe so. Yes, because he was married to an actress. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of crazy how things start and stop almost to the to the day that these things are, that this stone is acquired and gotten rid of. Right, yes. He dies the same year. He buys it for his catalog. This guy's been buying diamonds and precious art and precious gems for his entire life. He's been mm-hmm. a trust fund kid his whole life. Yeah. Well, he's, he is older at this point too. Like, yeah, he's older at this point, but he's been rich his whole life. He's the heir of... Um, investment firm that was really successful 25 plus 40 that's actually not that old it's like well, in for, the 60s yeah whatever but i guess the, it's at the, this point yeah, yeah for the 1800s yeah i don't know what do you make of that like the timing seems just so perfect you know what i mean yeah it does seem a little bit coincidental to and say then, the least and which then, is like, why we also attribute it to the curse right so exactly his son was the one that kind of suffered the most though i think because right. of it because obviously his father died but pretty much right away so the legacy went on to the younger generation and he basically had a laundry list of bad luck yeah he <laughs> uh ended up gambling away all of his money mm-hmm. um being left you know left his wife left him mm-hmm. who was an actress he then shoots himself in the foot in a hunting accident um lost loses his foot completely yeah. Yeah. that i mean poor decisions again this is sort of just like I don't know. What do you make of this? What do I make of it? Well, like I said at the top, right? You can say like, oh, this these are things that could happen to anyone at this point of time. Right. If you look at someone's life and you tally up all the shit that's happened to them, you know what I mean? Like there's going to be a lot. And right. whether or not you have something that you like a centrifugal object that you can attribute it to, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, it, it is a point of convenience in some regards, but then the more you look into it, the more it just kind of stacks up, yeah. which is kind of what we're trying to show with all this sort of chronology of, of uh, the curse. And that's <laughs> what like the people in the family were starting to do too. So like the wife that left him ends up writing, like producing this book 
And then a later yes. a film called The Hope yes. Diamond Mystery, which chronicled her experience with this, right? How she described it as, as no, a notoriously bad luck stone. Exactly. So that says something right there, right? She was experiencing it firsthand. Exactly. Oh, I would love to like go back and look if we could find that movie. Hey, it would have been quite early. Uh, Probably a been. silent film. I think we should definitely try to find it though. And then, mm-hmm. of course, she herself, she was an actress. She was married into wealth and affluence. She, her, she died of, in poverty. In the 1930s, which of course is a time when a lot of people were. The 30s was not a good time, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) this is happening to every single person. I don't know. It's bizarre. Like you're, they're all wealthy. Like they can't all be making bad decisions. You can't all piss your money away. You can't all freaking die from syphilis. You can't all like, come on, somebody's got to make it through here. Well, it just keeps continuing on here. Well, after she died... Well, the, the stone was sold off quite a number of years before she died, right? Because she wasn't even in the family at that point. She had divorced out. So she right. was kind of on her own. Yeah. But um, we get back to 1908. So now we're into the 20th century here. The stone makes its way into the hands of a sultan. So it was sold by the Hope family to pay off debts. Right. And basically this Ottoman Empire sultan acquired the gem through um, a New York dealer. He was deposed of in the same year he acquired it. Okay? So, so that's saying same another. Same Mm-hmm. Yes. Crazy. I know, right? <laughs> so then after that, we get Evelyn Walsh. None Evelyn. other than the Harris of the Washington Post. Super rich. Yes. And she, again, right, it was another auction <laughs> after the yep. Sultan who went back to auction. Uh, it was Cartier that sold it to her for about $180,000. And... Set off another slew of unfortunate events, this time within the Walsh family. Just And just to give an, ex, an idea of the Walsh family, like, because I don't think we added it in here, but it's like, it was on their honeymoon when she acquired it, right? And yeah. spent, like, all their money they were given oh, for their wedding true. to buy it. Yeah, so they were given a large sum of money, and she spent close to, I think it was either two-thirds or three-quarters right. of that on this gem. Just for the heck of it. Just because she wanted it. She let her dog wear it around the apartment. <laughs> like she was just a brat she yeah this is how she was described as a bratty spoiled harris who quote needed the diamond she needed it mm-hmm. had to have it had to have it so she would wear it all the time she was very laissez-faire about what just super cash just like oh yeah i'm just throwing my diamond around oh yeah there's my diamond on the couch there oh yeah my dog's wearing it now okay it's not my mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. and she she was very showy with it too she would wear it in public a lot she was photographed in it numerous occasions uh just very Um, what's the word? Like, she's like almost like the modern day Marie Antoinette kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Super opulent. And Mm -hmm. I think that, and I think with Cartier, like them purchasing it from Cartier, he played up the history. You know, all these people have been in contact with it, but downplayed the death, downplayed the curse. Yes. So actually, it's interesting you bring up Cartier because some people actually think that he didn't do that, that he created the curse. There's another, Created the story. Mm -hmm. Because if a diamond has a story, (laughs) now I'm just thinking about wine. If wine has a story, it's so much more valuable, right? It's so much more alluring and intriguing. If anything has a story, right? All marketing is, is just telling a story. So if you think about it, that was actually a very smart move on his part and maybe created that allure that she needed it for her whatever purpose. It's, it's kind of like it's, it's, it's reaching for the people interested in the macabre though. It's like, why not yeah. create a story where it's like, this diamond brings good luck. Wealth and, and good fortune <laughs> yeah. and all this stuff. Not, well, you couldn't really, could just with the history. Of I it, suppose right, so. Hard. But it's like, is that really that? I mean, buy this diamond, you might die. It's great. <laughs> so her punishment for all this 
extravagance and, and purchasing the diamond, wearing it all the time. A lot of people attribute a, the, her string of unfortunate family deaths to the diamond. Yeah. So that includes her mother-in-law who died shortly after. We don't know how she died. I didn't pull that up. But she died very shortly after. And she was one of the ones that gave them the money to buy the diamond in the first place. So then her firstborn son ended up dying at the age of nine in a very unfortunate car accident. Mm -hmm. Yes. Her husband left her for another woman. Her daughter died of a drug overdose of sleeping pills. And she lost all of her money. She lost the Washington Post. (laughs) So her husband was actually committed to a sanitarium. And then the post was sold to cover the family debts, but that didn't cover it. So her Mm. children had to sell the diamond to cover it as well. And that's where it ends up in the hands of Henry, or sorry, Harry Winston, who was a jeweler by trade. So he actually purchased the diamond in 1958. So now we're post-war, we're into the later half of the 20th century. And he is the last individual to have actually owned the gemstone before he donated it. So he actually gave it to the Smithsonian Institute and he did this via courier, bold. which is very bold, very, very bold. So he used the U.S. Postal Service. Oh, he had someone, wow. he could have had Newman delivering that thing. Oh, good How heavens. do you even, anyways, it was wrapped in a plain brown box and that's, it was just sent on the, the regular mail. Man. <laughs> How? I don't get it. But anyways, the, the carrier, or courier, I should say, who carried the stone to its final resting place, quote unquote, was a mailman by the name of James Todd. James Todd was probably the last victim, I would say, of the gem. Okay. To, for now. <laughs> until, yeah, well. until it ends up in someone else's hands. But he actually had a lot of unfortunate things happen to him. He was in two separate car accidents in, I believe it was in the same year. The first crushed his legs, while the second resulted in a massive head injury. As well, he lost his wife and also his pet dog in untimely circumstances, separate circumstances, supposedly. In addition, portions of his house had actually burned down as well in a very unfortunate accident. So, yeah, very, very unfortunate. His wife died of a heart attack and his dog was actually strangled on its own leash. Jesus. How much of bad luck could you possibly, like, you know what I mean? And you're the last person to... Now, here's the question, though. Here's the thing that's interesting to me, because he wouldn't have actually physically touched the stone itself. He delivered He, he hand-delivered it. Yeah. Right. So it, it's in the box, though. Exactly. It is in the box, but he's holding it. And he was photographed, actually. There was, like, this whole, like, press conference that's thing right. at the Smithsonian Institute right. upon its arrival. So maybe he did end up touching it, right? They take it out. They're like, thank maybe. you for delivering it. Do a little photo op. Ends mm-hmm. up coming into actual physical contact with it. Because as we go through this list, that seems to be the precursor like that's the thing you either have to have worn it like it's physically touched your skin you've come into actual contact with this stone or not even that but what if you just have the you are the proprietor you know what i mean so right okay you have to own it but that doesn't seem to be the case ownership if if todd but it's funny right because todd he says here he doesn't believe in any of the curse stuff and he said it was all in one's attitude And um, actually, he referring to the fire that burned down part of his house, he said, perhaps I'm actually having good luck. Thank God all four children were outside instead of in those rooms that burned down. So he didn't lose his children. Glass half full. The other final thought that Todd had on the subject, which is quite um, telling, I would say. And (laughs) I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see if people agree with this. He said, if the hex is supposed to affect the owners, then the public should be having all the bad luck. 
Because it's in the Smithsonian now? Yes, because it's now public property. Do you think Americans are experiencing waves of bad luck since the Smithsonian got it? Ah, it it depends who you're talking to. I I think some might say yes. Is it a downward trajectory or an upward trajectory? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. (laughs) You know, my my kind of response to that and my thought that comes up Mm -hmm. um, at the end here with all of this is just this idea that like, that kind of makes sense what he's saying. It's like, okay, it's in a public space now, right? People are going in and seeing it. It's um, nobody, no, it doesn't have a single owner, but without that, it's just too vague, too broad, too whatever, right? When we're looking at cursed objects, like when we're looking at the Hexham heads mm-hmm. um, and this stone, it's the idea that maybe there are these negative or evil or whatever you want to call them energies associated with these objects, but they require the right person to attach to. They require a person maybe hmm. weak of mind or dark of mind or oh. whatever. The Louis were all extremely weak of mind. Yeah. They were pathetic. They oh. were absolutely pathetic, especially the last one. He was he was terrified of the French Revolution. True. His wife was making all the decisions. He was not a king. He was cowering in the corner. He yeah, and he didn't even really have authority when he even was ruling. No, right? he, like didn't. he didn't. He just relied on his uh, advisors right? mostly and all that. Um, Henry Philip Hope he becomes a, a raging alcoholic and dies of his alcoholism in a sanitarium. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these people like lost it. You know what I mean? Like they were the. Per- it's it's almost like when we're talking demonic possession, when we're talking anything like that, it's like, it's always the people that are in the right situation to fall into mm. fall victim. Right. You can also add to the idea that rich people are usually crazy. <laughs> they can be. <laughs> they, they tend to make weird decisions anyway. Some people like if it's inherited wealth, that is especially the case. Correct. Cause yeah. like you're not, you haven't made any decisions that have brought you up in the world. You've just, been maintaining or uh spending <laughs> you know so i don't know what, what are your thoughts though on this whole thing if we're gonna wrap this up here because this is basically where it ends up yeah we're it's kind now of in the smithsonian the it's sitting there mm-hmm. safe and pretty for the time being until they lose it mm-hmm. um <laughs> well my thoughts are that i've really enjoyed this story yes, I, the yes. idea of cursed objects to me is really really fascinating mm-hmm. there's two there's kind of two different things it's like there's an outright curse like you've been in a place now you're cursed and then objects that are cursed Mm -hmm. both are unique i think that maybe the curse did the curse get stronger did it get weaker as the stone was getting cut down Mm -hmm. um that's an interesting thought oh i like that actually Uh, yeah or or was the curse released right in inner sanctums of maybe that's why tavernier was never affected by it like he gave mm. it to the French crown. They're the ones dealing with it. They what? end up cutting it down. Unless he was ripped apart by dogs, like we alluded to. Unless he was <laughs> ripped apart by dogs. Not. Which I kind of, I, I hope he didn't, but at the same time, that's just such a fun <laughs> sentence. Hey, I mean, don't necessarily say you hope he didn't. We don't know this guy. True. He could have had it coming. He looked kind of like a, he reminded me of the guy from Taboo series that was the head of the East India Trading Sir Company. Sir Stuart and he was Strange. Just, yes, Sir Stuart Strange. And he just looked like an unscrupulous guy that, mm. It was just, it's all in the eyes, man. Oh, yeah. You know, he's shifty little bugger. Dark. Anyways. Greasy. Greasy. Yeah. What do you think? What are your final thoughts on the stone? I, I'm i a little bit left on the fence here. Like, I wouldn't really want to own it myself. No. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm ambivalent. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say either way because I feel like there are forces beyond our understanding in this world. And, and I think it could, like you said, have something, it's a dual effect. It's the individual Mm -hmm. and the stone together that form some sort of 
um, I don't even know, an unsanctimonious bonding or something to that degree. You know, I'll say one last thing too. Mm -hmm. This idea of, you know, diamonds and sapphires and these precious gems that are formed under just crazy amounts of pressure in the depths of the earth, right? Mm. And these are the, these are elements of the earth. These Mm -hmm. are ancient substances, right? Could these things be like, they're in ancient times and in alchemy and these things, like there's, they were seen to be in, in, you know, have power embedded in them, in and of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've discussed things like elementals and energies and creatures and things of the earth, like well before we were here, they're not, Mm -hmm. they're not, you know what I mean? Like, is there, oh, totally. like, cause I'm not, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just equating like, like words here, like an element, element, you know what I mean though? But you there's know what like I'm thinking powers too? here. El- yeah. I'm, oh, I can't remember what episode we talked about this in, but we did talk about, um, these sort of exactly like corporeal and sort of, um, elemental manifestations of energies and things and how basically all of the things in the, all the, like, you know, like fire, wind, air, whatever, like mm-hmm. all these things have a, a component that's sort of like unseen but exists and like it is an essence of sorts what if something can get trapped inside that that exchange of carbon and pressure and heat and everything else right that formed that diamond originally and still continues to emanate that glow too i want to see that glow i want to see it i know me too darkness that would be really cool last thought i guess sorry i got one more thought here i got one more thought i'm sorry i just have things keep popping up it reminds me of like Jumanji almost too, right? Like what you just described. Like if the if the stone had been touched or 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 you know embedded with power from some ancient shaman, right? And then it's lost. It's it's back down in the depths of a mine or whatever. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't mm-hmm. even know. Like who could have? Where does the power actually come from? You know what I mean? Well, how about you guys get at us and uh, yeah. tell us your thoughts on this episode? Please do. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun with this one. Definitely. Um, yeah, thank you, Andrea. That was, uh, that was a good episode. <laughs> well, as usual, thank mm-hmm. you to all of our lovely patrons and to all of our supporters. We yes. really appreciate you, all the guys in the forum, getting that conversation rolling. Let's Definitely. Get, get into the strange room. It's so much fun. We've got a lot of fun stuff. We've got Matt Drew, our official curator of the strange yes, on there, do. posting stuff every day. Super fun reads. Mm-hmm. And just like fun memes and stuff. I don't know where he gets all those. I don't, I don't even <laughs> know. So he's, he's killing it. He's always got funny, <laughs> hilarious, cool stuff on there. But That's yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, Facebook, The Strange Room. And then also we just have our Into the Portal podcast forum. If you haven't joined that, come join mm-hmm. us on there. And we're always talking about strange stuff. And you can give us episode ideas or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You can send us feedback to into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And again, don't forget about the contest. So head to straightupstrange.com and just sign sign up for the newsletter. It's just a monthly newsletter with some cool stuff, no spam, and you can yeah. win a Don't Stop Believing shirt and a UFO hat. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty Sign sweet. your soul away, That's folks. right. That's right. All right. Well, until next time, on Into the Portal, your gateway to the bizarre.
This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.